When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to Be Lifted Up. Be Lifted Up with the Successpert, award-winning financial educator, wealth expert, speaker, and author, Alfred Edmund Jr. And your co-host, life coach and author, D. Marshall. It's Be Lifted Up. Be Lifted Up. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. I'm flying solo today, holding it down for my co-host, D.C. Marshall, and we have a very, very special guest and a very, very special conversation about faith and children. What we'll be hearing from later today is someone you may know in another capacity as an award-winning journalist, an ABC News correspondent, Emmy Award-winning journalist, weekend anchor for World News Tonight, someone who's excelled in her profession, but she's joining us in her real identity as a woman of God, a woman of faith, and an award-winning children's book author, best-selling children's book author. And I'm talking about none other than Lindsay Davis. I want you to really sit tight for this conversation because it's really about one of my favorite subjects. And that's the idea of how do we understand and relate to God as children. And often it's children that help us do that. So listen, you're in for a treat. We're gonna have a wonderful conversation. We're going to answer that question, How High Is Heaven? The name of Lindsay's new book. And we're really going to have an exploration of that idea of what it means to train up a child. And when he grows older, he will not depart from it. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thank you so much for having me, Alfred. Listen, I've been very excited about the opportunity to talk with you as soon as our producers told us you were coming on. First of all, I'd like to talk to you about who you are and what you do. Um, we already know you're an award-winning journalist with ABC, um, Weekend Anchor of World News Tonight. Talk to me about your, your work, your work work. Uh, my day job. Um, well, I've been a journalist now for 21 years um, and uh, have just been kind of plugging away. Started out in affiliates in the small markets, working my way up. I worked in Syracuse. New York, Flint, Michigan, Indianapolis, and then came here uh, to New York and then finally kind of made it to the network. Um, and that was a, a long time goal of mine, but you know, it was kind of baby steps along the way. And, and now really blessed to, to live out uh, a lifelong dream. Well, I guess I shouldn't say lifelong because I, I didn't really decide that I wanted to be a journalist until I was about 20. But at least for the last two plus decades, this has been um, the goal. And so I just uh, feel honored to, to be able to, and so grateful for, for the opportunity. Well, you know, I, I've been a journalist longer than you've been a journalist, but I still remember um, I was around 20 when I decided I wanted to be a journalist. In fact, my degree is in art. Um, okay. But while I was an undergrad, I got involved with student newspapers, um, and it basically changed my whole outlook. Um, and for me, being a journalist was, became an integral part of my faith walk. I remember, and I tell people, I received my calling to be a journalist when I was an undergrad, but I didn't accept that calling 
until I remember 1986, I was in a suite in the Bellage Hotel as the number two editor of a magazine called Modern Black Men, praying to God that he would get me out of that before I made a fool of myself because I still had a certain degree of imposter syndrome about making this career choice. What was your faith walk like for you as you decided to become a journalist and now 21 years later, obviously extremely successful journalist, but also very, very um, transparent about your faith walk? Mm. I think it's so interesting that you describe it as a calling for you. And I can't say that it was in that spiritual sense, you know, because I think a lot of times we think about the calling being, you know, for a pastor or minister. Um, So I wasn't drawn in that way. Like, I don't know that I heard the voice of God telling me that this was the path for me. But I will say that he blocked certain things and opened certain doors and gave me certain access to maneuver where I felt vindicated. I felt like he was encouraging me along the way, like this was the right, the right path. But um, essentially, so there was a a moment that I do remember very uh, distinctly. And I had uh, had a Spanish exchange program when I was in high school. And uh, when I was in college, I was studying abroad in London for a semester. And during that time, so it was actually my third year, I was, I attended University of Virginia for my regular undergrad, but for this semester I was studying in London. And so it was so close to Spain. And so I was visiting with uh, my high school Spanish exchange student. And somehow I ended up in their apartment in Spain by myself, watching the news in Spanish. At this point I had so much Spanish, I should have understood what they were saying, but it really sounded like Charlie Brown's mom, like wah, 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 wah to me in that moment. And maybe it was also just kind of part of the epiphany, the revelation that happened there that day that I wasn't even hearing what they were saying, but I just decided in that moment, that's what I wanna do. That's what I'm going to do. And I am a very determined person, very competitive person. And so I did hear kind of some discouraging comments about how difficult it is in the field of journalism, you know, as similarly I did um, when uh, I started deciding that I was going to write children's books as well. Uh, I was very, you know, heard very discouraging, you know, how difficult it is. And People always want to kind of tell you the the rate of failure and everybody thinks they can write children's books and everybody thinks they can do this. And it's so difficult. You can't even get a a literary agent to represent you and all this stuff. I actually like it when people doubt me. I actually like it when people tell me what I can't do. And that gives me a little more fire in the belly to, to really get it done. And so with that decision, that moment in that apartment in Sevilla, Spain, I then started taking the, the baby steps that I needed in order to fulfill this. And so it was kind of like one thing after another. Okay, well, at that time you needed to have college credit in order to do an internship. That is no longer the case. But so then I fortunately had parents who were willing to you know, pay $50,000, I guess, for an internship because I had to then go to NYU for grad school and get a master's degree, which you don't need, obviously, to be a journalist. But I got that master's degree just so that I could intern um, at the local NBC station here in New York at the time. And and that gave me then the opportunity to then open up doors to, to go on because I didn't realize I wanted to be a journalist prior to that. So I'd never done any kind of media internships. And so that would be my advice for anybody who is listening that who just does aspire. You know, if you early on start getting those internships under your belt and that way you, you meet people, you make contacts, you expose yourself and you know for sure, like, is this even something that I want to do? It's kind of being able to like try it on ahead of time. But 
that was kind of the the moment for me that then you know changed the rest of my trajectory you know i definitely want to get to you have a successful career at the top of your game in in, in our chosen profession and then you did something moved you to start writing children's books before i get to that though this is a question I ask most journalists I know who are also people of faith about the importance of faith, especially you're, you're a news journalist. You've covered some very difficult stories that, that are challenging on a, just a human interest level. You've seen not always happy stories in other countries as well as in America. How important is your faith to be able to walk through that in terms of your emotional health, in terms of your ability to be professional, but be compassionate? How do you do that? Because some, like I'm a business journalist, and I know the day I made a conscious decision that I don't, I couldn't really do straight news in the long run because it, it's not, not that business journalism is easy, but straight news can be very, very challenging. Well, you know, Alfred, well, something else that you said, you talked about imposter syndrome, right? And I think that all of us kind of have that, that to, to a certain, or many of us have that to a certain extent, that, that little voice, that inner saboteur, right? That, that tells you you're not ready or this is not for you, you're not good enough, whatever that might be. And, and I have to say, you know, I still kind of try and shrug that voice off still, you know, today um, in, in a number of different ways with regard to the, the profession. But I would say that God is so inherent to who I am in my daily life that that, you know, affirmation and that knowledge of him helps to silence that voice and that doubt. Um, and I think that early on, I, I decided that once I decided that this is what I want to do, and I felt like, you know, God, you know, was, was directing the path to allow it, that I've just continued to walk in it. Um, there are many times, you know, I, I've, I've often talked about uh, Haiti, the, the earthquake in, in 2010, and, and just experiencing just the loss and the the death and, you know, you know, people have, have said before, like in books and stuff, that there's actually a smell to death. And that was the first time that I ever saw that and saw dead bodies still in the street with the rigor mortis and, and all of that. And a lot, I remember being in Haiti during that time and, and, and there was still church service right after the, the earthquake in the days after. And, you know, that was, I think one side of the building was even open to the air, you know, but the people still gathered for worship, gathered to be thankful to God. And, and, and I think that we, I know that I personally experience the, those kinds of moments often where um, it's reaffirming for me, I'm feeding off of, wow, they've lost everything. And, and literally that's not hyperbole, that's everything. And they're still like, thank you, Lord, you know? And so um, that's encouraging to me in, in my own profession, in my own career, in my own you know, life. That, that just blessed me there, but you just, that, you know, the idea that you could be literally, again, in the shadow of the valley of death, mm -hmm. yet still be comforted and fear no evil, an actual representation of that. Listen, mm -hmm. we were Lindsay Davis, the author of her fourth children's book, How High is Heaven? Lindsay, you're a successful journalist. You climbed that mountain. You're doing great work for ABC as an ABC News correspondent. You're doing what you do. <laughs> what made you decide or what moved you to start writing children's books? Mm -hmm. 
So when I had my son, and so he's going to be eight next month, so we're going back about eight years ago, and he was an infant, and we'd be reading children's books to him, and and I would think, you know, I should do this. I want to do this. And then that be, that became like, I need to do this, because then when I started just seeing just that there was not enough, there were not enough books with characters who looked like my son. And it was very important to me that that whenever he would pick up a book, that he would be able to see pages of kids who look like him and have those mirrors, uh, you know, to reflect his image. And I read an essay actually right around that time called Mirrors, Windows and Sliding Glass Doors. And the takeaway basically was in, in, in summary was that, that every children's book needs to have a mirror and it needs to have a window so that kids can see themselves reflected and then they can peer into a world that's perhaps unfamiliar to their own. And when that really works, it becomes transformative. It works as a sliding glass door so you can really step into that world. And that's what books are about, right? It's about reflecting the truth and it's also about exploring your and growing your imagination. And so then, and, and things have changed. I, I have to say, I am really glad that there has been a shift, not only in um, the creation of more books that are inclusive and, and representative of the actual population, because at the time, so this is, again, going back eight years ago, but I, I was looking at some stats from prior to even that, and it was saying that more than 90% of the protagonists in children's books were white. And meanwhile, if you look at the U.S. Census Bureau, more than half of the children in this country are children of color. And so looking at that discrepancy, I felt, okay, rather than just bemoan the situation, let me do something about it. Let me be part of the solution. And so that was kind of the moment that I decided that I wanted to write children's books. And the other shift that I'm really grateful for, or I'm really glad about, um, is not only do you have more diversity in children's books, but I think that you have more open minds now. Because, you know, there was a part of me where I thought, this is so interesting. I was reading to a class just yesterday. I was reading to a class of kindergarten, first grade. And then they got to ask questions at the end. And one of the little girls said, were you nervous about having a book with black kids? And I thought, oh my goodness, what a, what a question. You know, it's, it's sad in a way that she had to ask that. Um, but if I were to really be honest, um, I would say that I was concerned that people would see black and brown characters and think that this is only for black and brown kids. I do think that now, um, and maybe in large part due, unfortunately, to the death of George Floyd, I think that you, you do have white parents who are saying, look, I need to expose my kids. Look, I need those. I need diversity in books too. You know, I need to make sure that our bookshelves have kids who don't look like our kids so that our books are not just filled with only mirrors. You know, it's important to, to have that variety and that exposure because quite often we fear what we don't know. And we fear people when we think, you know, we, we ostracize, we isolate ourselves from people when they don't look like us, when they don't think like us, when they don't believe what we believe. And, and so I think that for, a lot of Americans, especially those who don't live in diverse areas, it's really important that you start with books and you start with toys, you know, to, to give your children that, that introduction to experiencing other kids. And um, so I am happy about the direction that we're going uh, with books. And, and I, I have become really passionate about it. You know, what started off as, as kind of just like, a, you know, a one-off thinking that I would just do one book and, and um, you know, the book's success, the, the success of the first book then, you know, begot another book and begot another book. And, and uh, I'm, I'm really thrilled with the opportunity to, to have this creative space and, and also help 
contribute to the, the solution of, you know, showing representation does matter in all things, but in, including in children's books. And just so the Be Lifted Up family knows, the, the first three books written by Lindsay are The World is Awake, One Big Heart, A Celebration of Being More Alike Than Different, and Stay This Way Forever. So you got you get your shopping list for the young people and the parents in your life. But I want to talk about this latest book, um, How High is Heaven, which I just think is a beautiful concept, much less a beautiful book. Talk about how this book came to be, this new book um, that we're talking about on the show today. So, um, you know, interestingly, Alfred, all of the books that I've done have been unintentionally inspired by my son. So not only did he inspire me to even, you know, start writing children's books, but he is really my muse who I, you know, get to live with and observe all the time. And, and so kind of see the things that he's curious about, kind of see the experiences that move him, that get him talking, that get him thinking. And so with this latest book, he came home one day and he said, how come my friend has two grandmas and two grandpas and I just have one. And, um, you know, it was the first time that we'd actually ever talked. My, both of my parents are still alive. Both of my husband's parents have passed away. And his, my husband's mother died when my son was one. And so, you know, so we started talking about heaven and death and, and that they were in heaven. And so he said, well, I want to see her. Grandma P is what we called her. And so he said, well, I want to see Grandma P. And so I started showing him pictures thinking that he wanted to see the photos of them together and know what she looked like. And, and he said, no, I want to see her in heaven. I want to go to heaven. And then he decided that, you know, he was on this tirade that he wanted to go to heaven and, and it didn't just last a day. You know, normally there are certain things that he might bring up, you know, he wants a baby brother, you know, but then he doesn't bring it up again. <laughs> uh, but this was something that he kept talking about um, for, for days and then weeks. And, and then fast forward, you know, a few months we were on a plane and he was looking out the window and he said, I don't see her. And I said, you don't see who? And he said, I don't see grandma Pete. I thought while we were up here on the plane in heaven that we were going to see her. And so then I, that inspired me um, to write this book. And I think that it's become so timely, um, you know, fortunately and, and unfortunately at the same time, because we're dealing with COVID and just past that grim milestone of more than 900,000 Americans dying from COVID-19. And uh, there was a, a pediatrics journal that came out a few months ago that talked about how one in four of those deaths were primary caregivers for a young child. And, and so now the estimate is that more than 200,000 children have essentially been you know, orphaned in a way by, by COVID-19. And so I think that especially in that way, which is even more intense than my son of just wanting to see her again, not remembering her, right? And wanting to make that connection. You have children now who at this point, this was their person that, they, that was taking care of them, that they loved, that they were seeing every single day. And all of a sudden now that person is just gone. And so like with most things, I think that we can turn to faith for hope and to feel a little uplifted and a little less sorrowful about the circumstances. And the one thing that I actually watched with my son here was that the thing that gave him a little bit of solace or, or comfort in all this was when he came to understand that he would see her again, that there was going to be a reunion, right? that we are gonna all go to heaven and we're all gonna see what a day of rejoicing that will be, right? You know, the song, when we all get to heaven. And, um, and so that this is see you later, it's not goodbye, right? And I think that that was the one thing that my son then finally was kind of like, okay, you know? And so this is my hope that the parents and, and kids, because, you know, death is a really difficult thing to talk about among even adults, right? To really try to understand and process it because we just don't know a lot about it. And, and heaven in the same, the same way, right? I mean, 
you know, you can have these theologians and people who have studied and, and we still just really don't know that much about heaven. We do know that it, God's promises that it is our reward, right? And there's going to be no more crying there, right? And, and so there are certain things we don't really know that there are pearly gates or not. And we don't really know um, what even our body form is like, but we do have this belief that we're going to be reunited. And so I hope that that, that is the, the takeaway for for kids and parents that they can feel kind of hopeful about it. And we do it in a really whimsical way of a boy that is, you know, really trying to build a Lego staircase to heaven or a pogo stick or a trampoline or a spaceship or a hot air balloon. And, and really realizing at the end of it, it's not what it's all about and in physically trying to get to this place. And that for now, you know, he decides he'll enjoy heaven here on earth and um, we'll see grandma peace soon enough. Well, you know, what I take away from everything you've said, as well as the whole concept, is it goes back to the word that talks about we need to approach it as a child. That heaven and understanding heaven and God and his love, if we try to approach it from, you know, our intellectual, educated, adult point of view, it becomes difficult to comprehend. If we mm-hmm. trust it with the acceptance and the trust of a child, it works. It's clear. It's easy to understand on a spiritual level, if, even if you can't make sense of it intellectually. Yeah. Listen, right. hold that thought. And I want to come back and pick up and talk about the value of helping to introduce concepts of faith to children. I know I was introduced very early. Most of us were. But what does that mean? And books like yours can do to help do that. Stay tuned, everybody. We'll be right back with Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a Black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Edumatainment. Is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation, For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective. Welcome back to Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. I'm here with Lindsay Davis, Emmy Award-winning journalist and best-selling children's book author. And we're talking about her latest children's book, How High is Heaven? 
Lindsay, I'm struck and hit by the proverb of 22.6, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Um, most of us, especially if we grew up in church, heard, heard that or heard our parents say that or our pastor say that. But I often think we don't always value um, from the point, standpoint of the child of not just you know, taking them to church and making them read the Bible and praying, but explaining, finding ways to explain on a level and a child appropriate level that they can understand what this is all about, why this is important, why grandma makes me get on my knees and pray every night. Why mm -hmm. do I have to go to church when I want rather stay home and play or any of those things? And I, I happen to think that your latest book, How High is Heaven, is just a wonderful opportunity to have begin to have those kinds of conversations. Talk to me about, about how you see things as a children's author, as a woman of faith, and as someone who has a son that, if you're not a parent, you don't understand when kids come and ask you certain questions and you're like, oh my God, what, how do I explain this? Hard, hard questions, you know, and that's the funny thing that based on my job, I ask the questions for a living. You know, I'm not used to giving those answers, but um, and again, this is something that happened in the wake of George Floyd. We had an educator come up on my show and, and he said, if they're old enough to ask the question, they're old enough to hear the answer. And that that really helped me as a parent because there were so many hard questions that, you know, my son was asking that I was like, boy, what are you ready for? You know, I don't know what to say. And I don't really want to put this albatross around your neck, uh, you know, being a, a black young male in, in this country. And the implications of that. And so that was kind of a really interesting time to navigate. And I'm sure, you know, uh, I'll get those hard questions again about some other topic uh, at some point around the bend. But as far as to your initial point of, of faith, faith is, is such a significant, the most significant part of my life. God is the most is significant part of my life. And so my greatest hope as a parent for me is that I would raise a, a son who who loves the Lord, who is trying his best to follow that path. And to that end, my initial point with the first book that I did was after my son was, I don't know, he was like two or three, it was shortly after he started talking and he was, we were in the car and he said, does God open up the flowers? And I was wow. like really struck by that question. Again, a hard question, but but then I was just because, you know, at that mind mindset, you know, it's like, well, how do I answer this exactly? Because this is somebody who's just learning words <laughs> um, <laughs> at this point. But so I decided at that moment, this is what I'm going to write about. You know, this the celebration of the everyday blessings that when you think like, as you were saying, Alfred, like when you look at life through the eyes of a child, right, when you get back to that that imagination versus intellect, right? And so there's an excitement there. So when it would snow and my son would hold out his hand and the snowflakes would come. And you know, meanwhile, I'm like dreading like, oh my goodness, it's gonna take so much longer to get into work with snow, it's dangerous, it's icy, it's slick. And he's looking just like, mom, look at that. You know, look at that snowflake. And I remember still that day that that happened. And I was like, when was the last time I looked at a snowflake? You know, one individual snowflake. And there's so many things that he'd get excited when seeing a butterfly and he'd want to chase after the butterfly or, you know, a sunrise or a sunset. And he was really looking at it with those new eyes, you know, seeing for the first time. And, and I just think that we just get kind of glazed over, you know, that all kind of gets we're we're bogged down with the other things that we're focused on right we're we're not really taking in all of god's beauty all around us and and so at any rate this was to me 
you know, we had the baby scripture books and the baby Bible books and all of that, but I wanted something in a way that he could just relate to as far as look at this canvas all around us, look at how God has just painted and created all of that around us and you, you know, and us. And, and so this was my attempt at a gentle introduction to who God is for a child. Again, really just kind of talking about the, the creation all around us and, and how we can just relish it and look at it with renewed eyes for parents who become jaded, you know? And, and this is something that I will still say that this was, I, I was thinking about in my book prior to this, Stay This Way Forever. Um, and then I, I was so thrilled to see this still just a few weeks ago, but my son skips and I'm so happy every time I see him skip because there's some point in our life, Alfred, where we stop skipping, Yes. you know, where we stop, we're, we're just so driven to get to where we are, that we're driving there. We're walking fast. We're not taking it all in, you know, and well, I'm and, back and skipping though. I'll let you know that it, it, it's plus 60 over, over 60. I'm back. That is good to know. Never too late. Never too late. And that's what I try. When I see him skipping, I skip along. And I'm sure I look crazy, you know, to, to everybody else. But I'm just enjoying and relishing that moment. I, I, To me, it's this just, he hasn't been weighed down by the world. And and I'm, I, you know, look at that day with dread of like, when will he stop skipping, you know? But I look in, and I find the, the joy in that. And to me, that's kind of, a little evidence of God and that spirituality of just being happy, right? And that kind of state. And, and so a long-winded way of saying that that was the intent of, of the first book was just kind of making sure that I can pass that. If he doesn't gain or glean anything else from me, that he will love God. That's my goal. You talk about the joy of a child, and we've talked about seeing the world through the eyes of a child. And that way, I can say that the children bless us if we allow them to in that way. I'm a first time grandfather. My, my grandson is eight months old. Thank you. And it did kind of reawaken in me what I had when his father and his, and their, his aunts, I have three girls and a boy, one man and three young women. But I remember how much fun it was to be with them when they were you know, little. And mm -hmm. like you said, they marveled at things like leaves and why did the leaves change color? And right and reclaiming that joy for us is an opportunity whenever we are around children, whether they are our own or others. Um, and I just think that's a true value of what you're bringing to the table through the eyes of your son and what you're trying to communicate to him about God and faith and joy um, through this book and, and all of your books. Well, I'm hopeful. That's the goal. Mm -hmm. That's the goal. And I hope that that is what comes across. I think that that is a thread through them all. You know, I really think that in the end, God is love. And I think that the books are about love in different ways, right? I think that that first is about like, look at, at God's love, like all around us. The second book, One Big Heart is like, you know, love your neighbor really, right? And then uh, the third book, Stay This Way Forever, I think is know how much you are loved by your parent, by God. And this latest book I think is about, you know, still holding on and, and appreciating and being able to embrace those who have gone on, right? That that love still remains, even though we're separated for a time. Well, it communicates, and again, in a way that a child can not only understand, but find joy in what we mean when we say eternal life. Mm. Like you said, that it's not goodbye, it's see you later. Right. And again, when we become adults, we start trying to really um, 
like logically explain that, but a child gets it. Oh, I'm gonna see grandma later. Okay, bet. I love my grandma. She's worth waiting for. Yes. (laughs) Whenever I see her, I'll be happy to see her. And now I can go on and live my life and play with my toys and have fun and enjoy. And I I think that's a beautiful, beautiful message, not just for your son and children in general, but for us. I think that any effective and good children's book doesn't just speak to the four and five-year-old set. It speaks to the reader as well. It speaks to the parent. There's some kind of, it's like, you know, in a really great animated film, there's like two languages happening at the simultaneously, you know, they're, they're kind of the jokes for the little kids. And there's the double entendre, that higher, more elevated message for the adults. And I'm hopeful that my books are able to do that. I'm sure they will. And I'll say this as we kind of close out our conversation. Children's books are so important. My second oldest daughter will be having her birthday in a few days. She's in her early 30s. She still holds on to the, I think the book is called um, I'm Not Afraid. I'm trying to remember the exact Mm. title, but it was a book by Maya Angelou. Children's book I bought her when she was really little. And she surprises me because she brings it up all the time. Those oh, wow. really touch and have a place in their hearts when they connect with them like that. And I'm sure that's going to be the case for How High is Heaven and your other books. Lindsay, thank you so much for taking the time to join us on Be Lifted Up. Thank you, Alfred, for taking the time to talk with me. My pleasure. Man, what an amazing, amazing conversation with Lindsay Davis. Once again, Lindsay, thank you so much for joining us on Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. Listen, first of all, everybody, if you have children, if you have grandchildren, if you have nieces, you have nephews, or even if you don't even know what children you got access to, you need to go out and buy How High is Heaven and check out Lindsay Davis's other children's book because now you are set for birthdays, Christmases, whatever you got to buy for kids. These books, How High is Heaven in particular, is a book you want to buy. So let me just get that right out. But there are a couple of major takeaways from our conversation that I hope really resonated with you as we talked. First of all, the importance of seeing heaven, seeing God, understanding his word from the standpoint of a child. Lindsay's right. We get caught up in the hustle and bustle of life, and we forget that everything we're looking at is a miracle. The leaves changing on the trees is a miracle. A snowflake is a miracle. It's not just about us fighting our way through snow to get to work. It's also about understanding the glory of God, which is all around us. And so I really think that's something that we need to carry with us because, as I said earlier in the show, you can't really live an abundant life if you're not really relating to God as a little child, as the word says. So I think that's incredibly valuable whether you have children or not. You're supposed to relate to God as a child. He is our father. We are his children. We never get too grown to outgrow that relationship. So I think if we get nothing else from that, That's a valuable lesson that will uplift us and inspire us and encourage us as we go facing a life that's not always full of pretty things in terms of the way the world is operating. But the second thing I want to really bring home is the importance of not shying away from answering these tough questions from children about who God is, because it's not a sad answer. Talking about the passing of a loved one doesn't have to be a sad answer because we're people of faith. It's not a sad answer. We don't have to really be sad. There may be sadness for a night, but joy comes in the morning because we know what comes after the transition after passing from this world. We who are believers know that we're going on to a better world, a better place, a better time, a place we call heaven. 
Now we can't describe it. We don't necessarily know what it is, whether it's the pearly gates or not, but a child does understand as Lindsay showed, her son was able to grasp that my loved one is in a better place. And if someday God is gonna let me go there too. And again, isn't that what abundant life is all about? We're not just talking about the abundant life of what we enjoy here on earth, though God blesses us abundantly even here. We're talking about what happens in eternity and children can understand eternity. So listen, I hope you enjoyed this special edition of Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. Be sure to come back for future shows when I'll be rejoined by my co-host, D.C. Marshall. D, I tried to hold it down. I can't wait for you to get back. And listen, remember to follow Be Lifted Up on all social platforms at Be Lifted Up Radio. That's letter B, Lifted Up Radio, as well as checking out this episode and other episodes of Be Lifted Up at mochapodcastnetworks.com. And be sure to catch Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life on Sirius XM channel 141, HUR Voices. I'm Alfred Edmund Jr. This is Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. We're glad you joined us. It's Be Lifted Up, your guide to living an abundant life. Announcing the Mocha Podcast Network, an innovative lifestyle podcast network featuring conversations from a Black perspective. Curated with respected voices led by actresses and comedians Sherry Shepard and Kim Whitley. We're funny and we have a yes. point of view. We call that edumatainment. That's what we call it. Ed- is that what it is? Veteran TV journalist Rolanda Watts. Shocking the heck out of everybody. The legendary Unky Divas in Vogue. This topic is girl groups in the industry. To syndicated broadcast personalities, Lonnie Love and Dee Dee McGuire, as well as an array of experts and activists. Mocha Podcast Network, a lifestyle destination with authentic voices and perspectives designed to enrich and empower women of color with a unique listening experience. More than a destination, the Mocha Podcast Network is a full-service studio that offers an ongoing portfolio of production, distribution, marketing, guest booking, and most importantly, ad sales. With a unique revenue model for podcasters that includes customized promotional campaigns created specifically around podcaster and targeted audience, service social media promos and pushes, MPN brand advertising, targeted electronic newsletter, experienced sales representation, For advertisers, the Mocha Podcast Network is a safe marketplace to align their brands with trusted voices, organically engaging the highly in-demand female consumer and more. With quality over quantity, from concept to completion, now is the time for content creators and brands to join the innovative Mocha Podcast Network and experience unapologetic conversations with a new perspective.